Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Hi, this is Judy Sedgman, and welcome back to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm speaking to you from Bradenton, Florida, but I'm actually here with Christine Heath from sunny Hawaii. Yep. And we're together on Zoom while making <laughs> while making our podcast. You may wonder how we can stay together, and it's because we can see each other. And it's the miracle of modern technology. Today, uh, we, we want to talk to you about uh, grief. And I think it's a topic that's always uh, comes up, of course, so often in the news as, as disasters and things happen, but it comes up in everybody's life all the time. You know, we lose people, we lose pets, we lose, uh, we lose things that we loved, we lose jobs, we lose, you know, touch with people. And uh, grieving is just a natural part of our humanity. But for a lot of people, it's extremely painful. And there are also, uh, I've noticed among clients that I've worked with it, there are often people who are very, very um, hung up on the idea that there's a way to grieve. And if they don't do it right, uh, you know, they'll, they won't recover. And that's gotten to be somewhat of a problem um, for people because they, you know, somebody says, well, you know, did you, did you spend enough time in that anger phase? And they'll go well, like, I was never really angry. Well, you better go back and do that. And I've had clients come to me and say, am I going to be okay? I thought I was over this, but you know, then somebody pointed out to me that I missed one of the five stages of grief. And, and I, I just don't want to do that. I want to go back there, but maybe I should. And you can see how our thinking about grief is, has nothing to do with the actual feeling. We just get, we start analyzing our feeling because it's natural, of course, to feel sad when you lose somebody. It's natural to, to you know, mourn the loss of a pet that you, that's been a beloved part of your family. It's natural to feel grief if your house burns down. These are, these are normal human feelings. In the moment, we're just experiencing the life that we're having. But then when we think about it afterwards, what we really call the grieving process is not the sadness in the moment as things are happening to us and are, are taking them in and, and feeling them fully. It's all the thinking we do about it afterwards. And there's a natural evolution of thought. And then there's the thinking we do about thought. So I think uh, I'd, I'd love to see people. Uh, I guess, Chris, when I think about it, I'd love to see them just allow it allow grief to sort of wash over them and come and go and pass and ease in time rather than getting a, a lot of thought about, is there something I should be doing about this or is it, am I, am I wrong? Should I have spent a whole year, you know, is it too soon to laugh and things like that? Yeah. You know, it's it, the way I think about it, given that I live in Hawaii is that grief is like the, like the waves in the ocean. And then, when you understand that you're going through change, which means that 
we have habits with people, ways of interaction, ways of thinking, ways of being with them. We love them. And when the the other half of that habit isn't there anymore, it's kind of like you're floundering. So every so often, sometimes more often than not, you get hit by this wave of grief. And if you just see that that's, it's just you like making an adjustment to not having this person be in your life anymore, then it's like a wave that goes through you, right? So when you look at, when you're in the ocean, you're always taught to never turn your back on the ocean. Well, the reason is when you face the wave, it goes through you. It just goes through you. And then you go to your core and you get your balance so you don't let it knock you off your feet. And then you're good to go again. Sometimes it's a double set. You get a double set, hits you, hits you, hits you. But what happens is that when you turn your back on it, you try to like be strong or be tough or not, you know, not react to it. It like knocks you down, turns you around and you don't know what end is up. And that's kind of people get kind of stuck in, in that place when they don't understand the principles and how, how your experience is created. And when I was a, a young therapist, um, my father died when I was 27, 28. And um, I was devastated. I just loved my father. I just was felt like he really loved me. And I knew that at one level. And so when he, when I was five, he'd had a heart attack and they doctors told him at the Mayo Clinic that he had uh, five years to live. And so he had angina, he's popping pills all the time. And so I, I kind of lived, grew up with the uncertainty of him dying. Like we all were kind of holding our breath, waiting for him to, to pass away. So he didn't pass away for 24 more years or so 23 more years, but the whole time I was kind of grieving in a sense, like, cause always worrying about it, always thinking about what life will be like when he dies, cause it's going to happen any minute now. So then when he finally does die, I decide to myself, okay, I am going to grieve and get this over with. I've been living with this for this long. I'm not going to keep doing it. So I just let myself really just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And I remember it was really funny because um, I, we were in the church for the, for the ceremony. My boyfriend went with me and I was wailing away. And this little voice comes in my head and says, Chris, you're being very dramatic. And I thought, I know, but I have to do this to get it over with. And I don't want to keep caring, so I'm going to keep doing it. And my, my mother came to me later and she said, Chris, you're, you're, you're just crying too much. And my aunt said, oh, no, we don't worry about the ones who cry. We worry about the ones who don't cry. <laughs> And so then I, I go home and I'm thinking, okay, I got this out. I got these feelings of grief out. I was able to express it. I'll be good now. Absolutely not. I just went through what everybody else goes through. It's, it just is over time, I would see it. And I got really went through this angry phase, right? And my roommate said, Chris, you're really angry. I don't want to live with you. You're going to be like this. I was like, woke up to it. It's like, oh, 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 it's just just because my dad died, that's why. So, and it disappeared, it just stopped. So it's kind of, to me anyway, that thinking about going through the stages of grief 
created, made grief be this thing uh-huh. that I could spell or hang on to or deal with rather than just me adjusting to life without my father mm-hmm. and the kind of things that I went up against in terms of how much of my security was really based on him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just things that I had wonderful memories of him as well. And sometimes I would be just touched with how much I loved him and what a great experience I had. But yeah, I had all these thoughts from my training about what I had to go through. And that's not what had happened at all. It just was like, came in different waves. It came in different, with different um, times. And as the year went on, I always think that, you know, that year people used to always mourn for a year, right? They w- they'd wear black for a year. Yeah. And that's about as long as it takes to kind of adjust when somebody's really close to you that you're really attached to. And you just go through this natural process of learning to do life without that person. Yeah, that that's interesting. You talked about your father because my father, I was very close to my dad too. And, and he was a great teacher for me. And he was older. He was 50 when he got married. So it was his first marriage. And I came along a couple of years later. So he was like the age of some of my friends' grandfathers almost. But he was uh, he had a beautiful, youthful spirit. And But his friends started to die. You know, we go through these stages of our life where our friends are all getting married. They're having babies. And then they start to, you know, die as we get older. And uh, we were taking a walk one day and one of his very closest friends had died. And he was telling me stories about him. And it was only a few days, I mean, since the man had died. And he was telling me as we're walking, you know, stories about things they had done together. And I said, Daddy, aren't you sad? I think everybody's supposed to be sad when their best friend dies. And he said, you know, Judy, he said, grief is really not for the person. It's for you. You're grieving your own pain. They're not in pain anymore. Their pain is over. And he said, my friend had cancer. He was suffered. He was, he had a very, very tough time for the last few months of his life. And all of us who knew him were saying, oh, it'll be such a blessing for him when he finally can, you know, passes on because he's in so much pain. He's not going to get any better. So he passes on. He said, now, why wouldn't I just celebrate the fact that he's finally free? And he said, if I grieve, I'm grieving because I'm sad because I miss my friend. And he said, it's not like I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for it. He's been sick for a long time. We haven't spent much time together. And I remember I was I was a young teenager. I was probably 13 or 14 at the time. And I remember thinking, wow, that's not what most people I know say when somebody dies that they're close to. And I was really shocked by what my dad said to me. But as time has gone by, it really means a lot more to me because, you know, I'm at the age now where we're starting to lose friends and and uh, people that I've been very close to for a long time have passed on. And, and I'm realizing that uh, the grief you feel in the moment is shock at thought, oh, my gosh, I, I, things you wish you'd said or, or the phone call you wish you'd made or... Uh, why didn't I send that birthday card, that last birthday card, or why didn't I do this, or why didn't I do that? It starts to be apparent that your sadness is more about your yourself, your own experience, than it is about what's happened to the person. Because the the older we get, the more philosophical we get about death and the future, and and we, you know, when people suffer, we we hope that they get released from their suffering. 
So I, I think it's, uh, I, what I see with my clients is this attachment to what you were talking about, Chris, to the idea that if you don't do it right, somehow you're going to pay a price, you know, that you're going to, it's going to come back and bite you, you know, and there is no right way. It's like allowing memories. It's like anything else that we remember in life, happy things as well as sad. If we allow memories to just come and pass through our minds and create the scene they create and then pass on and we don't freak out about it, pretty soon the happy memories start showing up more and more. You know, the, sh- the immediate shock of the, the last parts of that person's life or that pet's life or the life of whatever you've lost uh, passes and you start having memories of different kinds of memories. And I, I think that, that it's important for people to allow themselves to do it the way they do it, you know, just to be themselves, like you say, to stand and face the wave and allow it to wash over you and just try to keep your bearings and, and let it happen. You know, I I, um, I was thinking when I lost my one of my very favorite favoriteest dogs um, when I lived in Minnesota. I had this Pomeranian. Her name was Emma, and oh. she was she was just the most wonderful dog. Okay. And she, she when she passed away, I just cried for days. When first she was in the hospital, I was so sad, and I cried and cried and cried, and I wanted to cry. I wanted to feel bad, and I thought to like. This is odd because you know I, I I don't cry much anymore, and um, and I thought why what what's going on with this? And I thought you know I'm only as sad as the amount that I loved her, mm-hmm. and that to me is like knowing though that I would be as sad about it, but I wouldn't have to stay there. Yeah, it allowed me to be okay with feeling sad about it. And then it was funny because I had to go to work on Monday, right? So I'm crying all the weekend and. And then I realized, like, I, I got to go help people to, you know, feel good. I can't be going to work crying. Like, that's not going to work. And so I, I, I said, okay, what do, I, what do I have to do? And so I went to my wisdom. I said, okay, wisdom, what do I need to do here to, to, to start getting over this? And all of a sudden, this, like, the word acceptance flashed in my head. Like, it was neon lights. It was this all capital letters, acceptance. And I went, oh, yeah, I just have to really accept it because I was doing all kinds of bartering. And the way they talk about it in my head, like I should have gotten to the vet sooner, I should have done this, and I miss her so much. And And so every time I would start to think about it, I'd say, look, it's just I just have to accept this. Mm -hmm. And I was able then to love her and to keep the how much the feeling of love that I had for her but also kind of move on in my life. And, but it wasn't, was only because I could see that my grieving was coming from me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because she died. Mm-hmm. Right? It was my thinking about it. I mean, the fact that she died is what, what I was. About. Yeah. But I, I just think the more people see that there's an option because some people really get stuck in it. Like some people come in and they're like depressed for years because they lost a pet or because they lost a person. And, and uh, of course, the person that you're grieving would never want you to suffer like that. No. And, and so it's seeing that grieving is a natural process. Suffering is the misuse of our thinking because we're hanging on to something that happened 
that we can't do anything about. And we forget that we have the ability to be happy and to be in love, even though this person is no longer with us. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I think I've realized over the years is that the people that you were really close to are still with us in the sense that we remember things. Like I still have moments where I remember something my dad said that was apropos to what's going on now in my life, you know, like I just did, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and I'll think, you know, he's as long as I'm still alive, he's still alive in me. And as long as my daughter's still alive, everything I've told her about my father is still alive in her, that they were perpetuated through memory. And that that's, that's one of the nice things about memory is that it keeps, it keeps truth about people alive in our heads, you know, keeps to stories and things that we want to share. And as we come, as time goes by, I think what grief turns to, uh, memories it just turns to opportunities to you know recall uh the person the place the thing that you've lost and 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 think about how much it meant to you without feeling the loss as much because you've gone you've pulled your life back together but it it is to see the relationship between our thinking and our feelings and our experience of grief is is really helpful because it's like grief doesn't happen to us it happens through us, and there's no right way for any one person to grieve. We grieve on our own schedule, in our own way. Everybody's memories are different. Everybody's triggered by different things. They see something that reminds them of somebody, and everybody else is looking at it. They can't see it. You know, it's fine. And 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 I think that your story about acceptance is perfect because that really is just accept yourself. And when you're sad, it's okay to be sad. And it'll pass if you don't get freaked out by it. And, you know, when you when you laugh, when you want to laugh, I remember somebody telling me one time, you know, I think it's really inappropriate for people to, to laugh at funerals. And I thought, well, I, I've never been to a funeral where somebody hasn't gotten up and told a funny story about the person and everybody hasn't laughed. I just can't even imagine that. I'm sure there must be funerals like that, but I've never been to one. And I said, well, why would it be inappropriate? Because while the person was here, that's what part of their part of the joy of being with that person is you could laugh together and have a wonderful time together. Yes, but they're dead. You have to respect the dead. And see, those are just thoughts. That's just that's just a thought that somebody made up. That the only way to show respect for the dead is to be very serious. And the fact is that being very serious is probably disrespectful of somebody who was really funny in life. You know, they want you to go on and have fun. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. You know, like when people are like sick, you know, before they die and they and we're taking care of them. And frequently kind of people do this grieving ahead of time like that. You like my son had leukemia. He was in the hospital for like nine months and then passed away. And this is what I learned about the principles through that, because Gosh, without that, I can see why people would be suffering because it's really hard yeah. to watch somebody die, especially a young person, because they it's not the natural course of things, right? It's like the to lose a child is really, really, really difficult. But by understanding that he had innate health in him, no matter what the prognosis was, that we had the ability to be in a beautiful feeling and that 
was the best medicine we could give him. Mm-hmm. It made it be okay. Like it was almost seemed like, you know, like you shouldn't like be positive. And I, I got into it with the um, hospital social worker because we had decided that we were going to focus on really on loving him and being in a good feeling with him and having it be a good time. And we, we included the hospital staff. I mean, you know, the, the intensive care nurses came to his funeral. Like, when does that happen? Because we were kind of all on this ship going to Mars and we dropped Peter off and came yeah. back home. It was an experience that we went through. Not one I'd, I'd repeat, but you know, it was really a, a very spiritual experience in that way. And so there's this, this, uh, newly trained, I think, um, pastoral counselor at the, at the hospital. And he came in and um, started to talk to Peter about his diagnosis and about the fact that he was going to die. Now, no one had said anything to Peter about this at all, right? It's like, so this guy decides it's up to him so that Peter can deal with his death, so that Peter can deal with his dying, and that he needs to be aware that that's what's going to happen. And so the first time I kind of brushed him off and I said, you know, like, oh, okay, well, that, thank you very much. And then, but he kept coming. And so Peter came, he was in an intensive care unit. And he goes, you know, that, that minister guy came again and he started talking to me about dying. Like, am I dying? I'm living. What's, what's happening here? And so Peter actually was, had knew more about what to do for himself than this minister did. So I said, well, do you want me to talk to him for you? Because, you know, a stepmother, I had to be really careful about barging in there. And he goes, yeah, would you do that? I said, sure. So I go up and find him. I said, look, Peter doesn't want you to come to the room anymore. And and he said, why? He said, well, we're, we're kind of taking the tact of really focusing on the positive and what's possible and, and, and that there might be a miracle and that, you know, we just have to make the most of the his days now and stay in the best feeling we can. And when you come and talk to him about him dying, he doesn't like it. He gets freaked out. He gets more upset. So we'd just like you to not come. And he said, oh, well, he has to know what's happening. And I feel that it's my job to make sure that he deals with reality and what is happening for him. And he needs to do this. And I'm going to continue doing it. (laughs) So I looked at him. I said, let me put it to you this way. Uh, our good friend is the head of the hospital board. If I got to go to him to keep you from seeing him, I will. (laughs) So, so we walked away and I was like, Oh, that didn't go well. So I I went to call this doctor and his doctor was an old mash doctor and just loved Peter. He just loved Peter. It's just like the two of them were spiritually connected in a way that I seldom see with doctors and patients and that are dying anyway. And so I called him up and I said, Dr. Berman, uh, I got to tell you that um, uh, this minister is coming in and talking to Peter about dying. He said, dying? He's not dying. We're, we're not there yet. We're not talking about that. I said, well, I know that, but the minister thinks he needs to deal with it. He said, well, tell him not to. I said, well, I did, but he told me he was going to do it anyway. He said, okay, I'll take care of it. And then <laughs> the next day, the, the minister was on vacation. So uh, I guess guess he got the word, but you know, it's like he was adamant because he had this training that people have to deal with the fact that they're dying and accept it and go through all this crazy stuff. And it just was terrifying Peter. So, you know, it's like common sense. You got to use common sense about things. And isn't that really life itself? I mean, we, a lot of people live their whole life fearing their death 
and never enjoy their life. That's right. That's right. You know, I remember my old doctor said to uh, me, he was 95 when he died, but the last time I saw him, he was 94. And I knew I wasn't going to see him again because he lived in Greece. He had retired to Greece and he wasn't going to come back to the States again. It was his last trip back. And um, he said, uh, I probably won't see you again. Well, maybe someday, he said. But he said, I'm just going to ask you to follow my example. Enjoy every single day you have. And just die in wonder of what's next. And, you know, when I, that, that's, that's really sort of, that was it for me. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people do come to that, come to that uh, peace within themselves at, towards the end of life. And the rest of us are the ones that are creating like your mm-hmm. minister. So that's, just, that, that's, that's what Peter did actually, when, is that while he was dying in the hospital, yeah. he was really, focused on living in the hospital. And, you know, it affected everybody that I think he did more to help the world in those nine months of being sick in the hospital than he did in the 24 other years. So, you know, it's just interesting. You got to look at life as it is and see what's happening instead of what should be happening. That's right. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate your time on our podcast and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Aloha. Bye-bye. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 